You're listening to the Simple Faith Podcast. My name is Dave Betts, and together with my wife, Sherea, we've been exploring all of the things that make our faith what it is. And we've been trying to do so in such a way that strips back all of those unnecessarily churchy and intellectual words, you know, the kinds of words that sound really, really great, but maybe muddy the waters and confuse things a little bit more than perhaps they need to. We believe that you can have challenging and complex discussions in such a way that anyone at any stage of their spiritual journey can understand if you just strip back some of those academic words. We're striving, we are pushing for what we like to call authentic Christianity for normal people like you and like me. So we're excited. We're glad that you're with us on episode number 51. Can you believe that it was episode 50 last week? We are so excited about that. It's a journey that we've very, very much enjoyed. And we're so thankful that you've joined us for it. And if this is your first time, we are so glad that you're here listening to us. That's great. We are in the midst, or should I say, concluding a series looking at myths in the church. Now, some of these myths are not overt myths, but they're subtle ones that kind of seep into our culture. And some of those myths are things like the size of your church corresponds to how successful you are. So if you're a mega church, you therefore must be really, really successful. And if you're a very small church, well, it's just because you're not very successful. So we've, we've debunked that and said, no, no, it's way more complicated than that. We've looked at the myth that the church is only after your money. And we've said, no, the church is after you. They want you. They want you to be a part of the body because it's a great thing. And and the church wants to love you and support you. And one of the ways that you can grow is in supporting the ministry of the church. And we've said, actually, no, the church isn't just after your money. It's so much more complicated than that. And we've looked at the myth that the amount you volunteer corresponds to your spiritual maturity. And we've said, well, maybe, but not always. Sometimes it's actually a negative thing. The amount you volunteer can pull you away from your spiritual maturity. And we said, yeah, it's a bit more complicated. So you can see probably where we're going to go today when we look at the myth that there's only one way to do church. And this is the idea that, you know, there's a, a cookie cutter way of doing church. You might think of it, if you're in the Church of England, you might think, well, it has to look like the Church of England and anything else is wrong. Or you might be in a kind of a non-denominational contemporary church with lights and flashing music and flashing music, flashing lights and pumping music and all that stuff. And you think, well, anything that misses that is just completely wrong. I used to be in that place. And instead, what we want to say is it's a bit more complicated than that. So if you want to pause and move on, that makes sense because that's where we're going. But we're going to dig into that truth today. We're going to explore that in a bit more detail. But first, I do want to say it was our original intention that Sherea was going to be on this episode with me. Now, if you're listening for the first time, Sherea and I had a baby in December, which is really exciting. And JJ is awesome and we love him. And he's a little chunky monkey. He's fantastic. But uh, it's really hard to find people to babysit for him during these COVID times. And it's been a, it's been a, a challenge, to be honest. And Funnily enough, Sherea is now 1,100 kilometers away in Manitoba. And we thought that would be the best opportunity to be able to record an episode together because we thought Sherea's Sherea's parents, JJ's grandparents, could uh, look after him. And unfortunately, it just hasn't worked out. The timings just haven't really worked out to be able to make that happen. So you've just got me. I hope that's okay. Stick with it. Uh, If you're Canadian, you're going to have to stick with this British accent. If you're British, you're going to have to stick with this possibly starting to turn a little bit more Canadian accent, but hopefully still British enough that it's not distracting. With that in mind, let's talk about this idea that there's only one way to do church. Now, Sherea and I are passionate about this for a certain reason. Sherea went to an evangelical Mennonite church. 
And then when she was older, she moved from that church to an alliance church, Christian and Missionary Alliance Church. And then while she was at Bible school, she was at a bunch of Baptist churches. I was at a New Frontiers kind of more non-denominational church. And then I was at some Baptist churches while I was at Bible school. And then I ended up uh, at uh, a Christian and Missionary Alliance church, Sharia and I did when we first got married. And then we moved back to the UK briefly. And uh, I was serving there at a commission church, which is an offshoot of New Frontiers. And now we're at a non-denominational church, which is kind of uh, looking towards becoming a commission church. And so we've seen a few different expressions of church and that's kind of moving away from my t- brief time in a uh, quite out there Pentecostal church in Singapore. And I've experienced a few different churches and Shire has experienced a few different churches. And we've noticed that there's a lot of good things in a lot of churches. And maybe it's a bit more complicated than just saying there's only one way to do church. So with that in mind, let's jump right in. Now, I don't know what your experience with church is. Maybe you've attended the same church your entire life, and that's fantastic. That's a really good thing. Well done for being so loyal and uh, being so faithful in serving your church. That's a good thing. I, I wish, I pray that that would happen more. We we have such a, a mobile uh, generation, a mobile world where we're moving all over the place. And, and often people tend to move to church, move different churches if they just don't like being there very much, they say, oh, we'll give up and move on. So well done for being faithful. But one of the the really exciting things uh, in my life about just, I've been moving around a lot, is that I've been able to experience different expressions of church. And, and often that's been purely brought about by the fact that I've been in a different country or living in a different place. And while I was uh, younger, I got to travel a bit more and, you know, I got to experience church in a, a, a building covered in corrugated metal in Kenya, a little a, a shack, basically. I got to experience church in uh, Hillsong in Brisbane. It was one of their offshoot campuses and it's big and there's flashing lights and the music's great and all that stuff. I got to experience church in a castle in Poland, which is random. And I've experienced a church in a concrete basement in Albania. And the list goes on. I've been very, very blessed to experience different expressions of, of church. But when I first got saved, I got saved into a church where the music was really good. The lighting was really great. Uh, the visuals were really good. And I used to think that if you didn't have all that stuff, if you didn't preach in a certain way, if, if you had different chairs, if you had pews or stained glass windows, well, you must have been doing something wrong. And uh, I had these weird preconceived notions of what church could look like. And I've, I've come to realize that it's just so wrong. This myth that we have that there has to be a right church. I don't know if you've ever had this conversation. I've, I've certainly been guilty of it where you say, can you believe that they only do this or they do this instead of this? Can you believe, I'm going to give you an ex- a stupid example. Can you believe they do their notices at the end of the meeting instead of the middle of the meeting? Can you believe they do their notices at the beginning of the meeting instead of the middle of the meeting? I mean, these things happen a lot. And even we've talked about uh, in the last few weeks, uh, that my passion that you shouldn't take offerings. And uh, I, I don't believe that you should hand out baskets because I just don't think it's helpful at this day and age. If you want to see my, ex- my well, rant, to be honest with you, then go to that episode on the, the the myth that the church is only interested in your money. But hopefully I made it clear. And if I didn't, I want to make it really, really clear now. That's just my opinion. 
That's just my, my opinion on one expression of church. And I think it's right, but that doesn't mean that everything else is wrong. Uh, and I want to be, be clear, I have my opinion, but I'm not saying that if you've done that, then you're, you're totally wrong. You've got no idea how to do church because there are so many factors that go into it. And we'll maybe talk about that in a bit. I, I think what I want to say before we, we move further forward is to say, while we, we believe there are lots of expressions of church, lots of different ways to do church right, there are also ways that you can do church wrong. So what we're not saying is that all expressions of church are right. Okay, so hear us on that. We're, we're saying it's a myth that there's only one way to do church, but actually it's also dangerous to say that all expressions of church are correct. So we want to say that there are some things that are wrong. Let me give you some examples, or really just one example. If you are doing something at church that is different or straying from what the Bible teaches, well, then you're obviously doing it wrong. <laughs> That's a dangerous place to be. If you are straying from anything that the Bible teaches, that is a problem. And so it's okay to call that out and it's okay to say that that's wrong. For example, if there is false teaching, if it's blatant uh, heresy, you might, you'll be familiar with that word, I'm sure, but it's something that is contradicting the Bible, problem. Uh, for example, the use, use of icons in the Orthodox Church, we would challenge that quite like passionately because it's not biblical. It's not a biblical practice. And in the same way, uh, confessions are a dangerous thing in the Catholic Church because we are uh, what's called the pre, you know we're we're all the same status before Jesus. We don't need a mediator to come between us and Jesus to confess our sins. No, we need Jesus. We can go straight to Jesus to confess our sins. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. So we would say some of those things are wrong, and and I think it's okay to call out things as as wrong if they are unbiblical. Where we need to be careful is when we talk about style and practice and we choose we're talking about preference as opposed to biblical truth. So with that said, we do also want to highlight that there are lots of different ways to get it right. So again, we're not talking about theology. We're assuming that we all have pretty decent theology. There might be some differences. There might be some differences on gray areas and that and that's okay. But we're talking more about style and presentation when we're talking about there's only one way to do church, right? So there's, I mean, let's talk about some of the differences there. We're talking about building types, for example. You know, some churches have church steeples, stained glass windows, pews. Some churches meet in schools. Some meet in warehouses. Uh, I got to go to Willow Creek in Chicago once. I don't know if you've ever, you've ever heard of that church, but uh, that church literally was so big, they had their own mail room. They had something like 500 staff. It was enormous. I don't think I've ever seen a church that size. In fact, they had, it was so big that they'd built themselves, get this, they built themselves a lake to baptize people in. That's how big that church was. I remember being at the parking lot and just looking out and thinking, this is bigger than any mall I've ever been to, let alone a church. This is unreal. You know, so buildings can be very different. A church can be so different. Now, is one of those things right? Absolutely not. There's also uh, this idea, um, I don't know if you've ever come across it, we've talked about it before, maybe, that you know, some people would say, well, you have to be house church, you have to meet in houses, or you have to meet in uh, a building, you have to meet in the kind of traditional way. And you know, we'd say, well, no, actually, in the Bible, there's, there's talk about uh, believers meeting in houses, but there's also talk about believers meeting in temples. You know, in Acts 2, 42 onwards, we've, we've read that passage many times, but let me read it to you again. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, 
to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs were being filled through the apostles. Now, all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted to themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. Already, we just see there uh, that their expression of worship included being in the house and it included being in the temple. Um, a friend of mine called Tim Blaber talks about it being as like two wings on a plane. You need both. Yes, it's great to focus on one, but if you draw all your attention into one and not the other, then you're ending up with a plane with one wing and that's not going to fly. <laughs> so that's, that's a, another conversation that's often happened where you're like, oh, it has to be this way. It has to be this uh, form. And we're saying, no, actually there's, there's strengths to both. There's challenges to both. There's differences in service styles. So some churches might say, well, you have to use liturgy. If you've never come across that word before, it's this, it's often expressed in, you know, you've got this written thing that you read together or, or, you know, you've memorized by this point. So you might have, you know, someone reading a passage and then, uh, and the congregation says, so says the word of God or, or something like that, you know, or you, you work through uh, a, you know, a certain psalm and a certain passage each week and you go through some to make sure you cover certain things. Uh, you, you, you'd be more familiar with that in Anglican churches or, or Catholic churches or some services are really casual. So you might have, uh, like I say, you might have rock music and uh, then the preacher comes up and is way more casual and you know, maybe uh, shouty and, and whatever. It might look completely different and there might be uh, it might be really casual. It might be really formal or, you know, it might, some churches encourage participation. So our church, we really encourage people to share what God is saying to them for the church. We, we want that. We think that's a really great thing, but that's different to another church. And we're not going to say that our expression is the right expression and any other expression is, is incorrect because that would be, that'd be a risky thing to do. We love it. And we're going to, so we're going to push that because we think it's great, but we're not going to say it's the only right way. There's a difference there. Are you, are you hearing me on that? There's differences in preaching styles. I kind of hinted on that. You know, some people will preach, you know, loud and shouty, and some people will preach quietly and read a, a manuscript. God can use both. But even uh, broader than that, there's different styles of preaching. So again, we'll use these words and then we'll explain them. There's exegetical preaching, which is what, what we're talking about there is when people preach uh, from a passage, like verse by verse through a passage. So that's a, a really great thing because you, you don't miss what, what the Bible is saying. So right now in our church, we are preaching verse by verse through Jesus's Sermon on the Mount. So it's a famous passage in Matthew 5 to 7. And uh, so we're preaching verse by verse. And that's one way of preaching. Another way of preaching is that you preach on a topic rather than verse by verse. That could be a really good thing. So you could have a preaching topic um, and have a series based on worship. Or some friends of mine are doing a, a series on welcoming people at, to their church at the moment. And that's great. There, I have my opinions on which one is, is, is stronger and but actually, I think there's value to both if you use them both well. So uh, there's different preaching styles. And then we're talking about preaching. What about the timings of preaching? Some people think your sermon has to be 15 minutes. Some people, I've, I've actually met someone who said, oh, you can't say anything useful about God in less than half an hour. Now I'm going to tell you, I don't believe that. Uh, but someone does. You could preach for 30, 40, 50 minutes. Some people preach for over an hour. Which one's right? Well, who are we to say? Uh, Paul preached for so long that Eutychus fell out of the building and 
died, right? And he had to get be brought to life again because he was he fell asleep. He was pretty tired of it. Must have been a long message. That's all I could say. There's differences in approach to worship. So, you know, what type do you use? Contemporary songs like new modern rock songs, folk songs. What kind of band do you use? Do you use? Uh, do you sing hymns or what? Do you have classical music? Do you have orchestras or do you have drums? Ooh, electric guitars. You know, I'm, I'm. You know, in my background, I was a, a professional electric guitarist, and and then I fell into the church, and so I loved electric guitars in worship. Obviously, do you have? pianos or do you play pads in the background? Do you have your hands raised or do you have your hands strictly by your sides and you look very stern and that's okay. Some There's value to both of those things. There's value to that celebration and that visible celebration on your face, but there's also value on being uh, reflective and uh, calm and and somber in in the, the gravity of worship because worshiping Jesus is a big thing. There's value in, in both. Do you have big flashing lights that that help make this a real celebration or do you use lighting to create a real good ambience for to help people enter into the presence of God or do you just have normal lighting because you you don't want it to be a performance or a show both those opinions are valid if you're doing it with the right heart do you use backing tracks in worship do you choose never to use backing tracks in worship do you have big shiny graphics or do you have you know just regular old you know None of that stuff because you want it to be about God and not about the show. There's, all of those things are, are, are valid that we've talked about. And when we're talking, we've talked about, I mean, service styles, preaching styles, approaches to worship, building types. And we're still, there's still so much more we could talk about. We could talk about approaches to church, church planting. You know, I remember hearing somewhere before we move, moved to Red Deer to help kind of re-energize this church that we're at now. Someone said, it was, it was an American pastor who said, if you are planting a church with less than $176,000, you may as well give up because it's not going to work. And I remember thinking, um, well, I'm sure that maybe that's, maybe that's helpful having, I, I don't remember why it was $176,000, but you know, pretty sure that the early church managed okay without $176,000. And so both of those, it's not, again, it's not that one is right. This person was saying that, yes, the $176,000 method is the only right way. Well, we're saying it's, it's a right way, but actually if God is in it, there's a million different ways you can plant a church. And then we even even started talking about cultural differences, right? So uh, what works in rural Africa in Kenya, like I said, stylistically may not work in the city of London, um, HDB is a wonderful example of a fantastic Anglican church, but boy, HDB, if you're listening, you are so middle-class. <laughs> HDB is a middle-class church. They make me sound so rough and they're very posh. And, and you know what? That's great. That's a really good thing. I, I love that, but in certain contexts that wouldn't work. And they would be aware of that and they would openly say that. But in London, it, it's fantastic because they serve people really well where they're at based on the context that they're in. Fantastic. HDB, hats off to you for what you're doing, especially the Alpha course. We ran the Alpha course uh, recently and it was just brilliant. It was so good. But again, there's cultural differences there. What they're doing is right. I'm not saying that that what they're doing is wrong, but I'm saying it's not right for all different contexts. Uh, We often assume that what works in one place therefore has to work in all places. You know, so again, I got saved into a, a, a big church. And we used to do uh, one way of doing things, everything we did. And, and I, I was so passionate about 
our expression of church. And I used to go to smaller churches when we would take the worship teams to places. I would just be so dismissive of these different places. I remember, you know, I mentioned about being in Albania in a concrete basement. I remember thinking, why on earth would people have this as their church? Now I, I repent of that ridiculous attitude. I, I feel so guilty about having that stupid attitude as a, as a younger believer, just thinking, what an arrogant thing that I put so much stock in buildings and lighting and you know, quote unquote quality of music. When actually what God's after is the heart. So you can worship in your culture in different ways, you know, and that's, that's a really good thing. I'd be shocked if uh, the church in China looked anything close to the church in Canada. It would be a surprise, right? I, I, would, I would find that maybe a bit disconcerting because Chinese culture is so different and not, not to mention some of the challenges in China at the moment with, with Christianity. Um, and then again, you can talk about how, we talked about this in previous weeks, how the, the, the church in China came about because of small groups. And yet the church in Korea flourished because of a mega church where there was something like a million people in, a, in the single, single church. That's, that's crazy. Is one right and one wrong? Well, no, there's different ways to do church. Uh, he, one more thing I want to mention before we, we go to the next section here is even Bible translations. I mean, what, what Bible translation does your church use? I mean, there's the NIV, there's the ESV, CSB, NLT, uh, NASB, KJV, NKJV, Holman's, uh, the old school version of the CSB. I mean, the message, the passion version. I mean, there's so many different versions of Bible translations. Now, I do want to say something about that. Uh, th- this, is a, this is something that I'm, I'm going to be cautious about, but I, I would strongly encourage you not to use the passion translation in your church. If you're reading the Passion Translation of the Bible, uh, I would encourage you not to. You know, I said that there are lots of right ways and one wrong way. Well, the, the Passion Translation is an issue because it's, it's not actually a translation. So it's called the Passion Translation, but it's not a translation. It's a paraphrase. And it's sometimes a pretty poor paraphrase of the original Greek text. Uh, so it can sometimes push you to a place that is not healthy, to a place that is not actually what the Bible is saying. So there's, there's, for example, there's stuff that is added to the Passion Translation that isn't even implied by the passage, and that's very dangerous. Not to mention the fact that it's only written by one person. Normally, most translations have teams of translators, and they then uh, pour over everyone's work really carefully to make sure that they're all on the same page and trying to be as accurate to the text as possible. This translation only has one translator. So, so be careful with that. That's a really unhelpful thing, especially when it's a paraphrase like passion. Now, Eugene Peterson has a paraphrase called the message. You might have heard of it. Now that's, that's a very different thing. It was also written by one man, but the difference was that it's only ever stated itself as being a paraphrase as opposed to a translation. In other words, it's saying roughly what the passage says in modern language, rather than trying to accurately uh, word for word translate it. The, the biggest difference as well, I would say, with, with this, this paraphrase is that uh, it's much more accurate in what it's saying than the Passion Translation is. So sorry to go on for that, about that for a second. But if you're reading the Passion Translation, I would encourage you to think very carefully before you carry on reading it because it is very unhelpful. And so, but otherwise, whether you use the NIV, King James Version, ESV, you know, CSB, I'm, I love the CSB version. My friends love the ESV version. 
My other friends love the NAV version. That's that's fine. Whatever you read is great. I mean, we have all these differences. There isn't just one. I mean, there are lots of people that would say you have to read the King James version and there's and nothing else because that's the only inspired word, word of God. Now, there are so many problems with that statement that it's kind of not even funny, but we're going to talk about Bible translations in a lot more detail. I think at the end of the year, I had a, a, an episode planned. So stay tuned for that because I think that's going to be a really interesting episode. Uh, maybe we'll talk a bit more about the Passion Translation. But if you have any questions about that, do send me a message. Let me know. Ha, message, get it, Eugene Peterson. Anyway, that's it. The point is, whether we're talking about service styles or preaching styles or approaches to sung worship or approaches to planting churches or cultural differences or uh, building types or whatever, I hope it's clear that there are lots of different ways that we can express church. There isn't just one way to do church. There are lots and lots of right ways. And of course, there are wrong ways as well. So how do we summarize all of that so far? Well, we really do want to highlight that there is not one way to do church. If you've ever found yourself in that line of thinking where you think that your way of doing church, your church has the only right method and that everything else is wrong, I would, I would encourage you to, to think about it. I mean, listen to this passage in 1 Corinthians 12, it starts at verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, Next, miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, leading, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all do miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But desire the greatest, greater gifts, and I will show you an even better way. Now, I love that passage because what it highlights is that we all have different gifts. We're all uh, made differently. We're different parts of the body. Some of us are hands, and some of us are feet, and some of us are knees, and thighs and whatever, right? We're, we're all different. Uh, we're all made differently. And so having one expression of church just wouldn't work for everyone. Some people really appreciate the formality of the Anglican church. And I have to tell you, there are times where I love going to be part of an Anglican church because I love the, the reverence, that sense of worshipfulness um, and somberness that can sometimes ha- come in a church, especially where in you know the classic British churches that are echoey and uh, there's lots of reverb and all that stuff. I love that. But at the same time, for me, I, I lean towards more casual expressions of church. Um, I love the fact that um, the church I was at in the UK used to meet in a race course, in, in a restaurant part of a race course. I loved that. It was, uh, that just suit me down to the ground. It was very casual. And yet uh, people loved Jesus. It was, just, it was so good. Uh, we, we need different expressions of church. You know, I, I used to really love this, you know, huge, exuberant, uh, epic style music stuff. I used to be all about the lights and all of that stuff. That was really helpful. In fact, it was because of that stuff, I believe, that I got set. Well, of course it wasn't. It's those, let me say that a much better way. Those things played a huge role in my openness to God working in my life. Now, of course, God would have worked in my life whether I was open or not, but it was the music and it was the lights and all that stuff that drew me in as, as a musician. And that was a great thing. But now, for me, I prefer much more grounded expressions of worship. I'm not super into the big 
performancey stuff. And that's fine. That doesn't mean that it's wrong. It's just, it's not for me so much. We've talked about performance culture. It can be wrong if your heart is is wrong. Uh, in season one, we talked did an episode on performance culture in the church. If your heart is wrong, but if your heart's right, that can be fantastic. But for me, I'm in a different place now. Uh, that's not because I'm better or worse. It's just my life has changed and the direction I've been in has changed. And that's okay. We've We've met incredibly godly people in every setting that we've been in, you know, whether it's like the way out there, Pentecostal charismatic people uh, on this side or the the extremely conservative Mennonites. You know, we've seen both. I have friends who are some of the most, well, whose family, I should say, are some of the most conservative Mennonite cultures that I've ever seen. And I've got friends who are in some of the most uh, exuberant Pentecostal churches I've ever seen. And I've met really godly people in in all of those settings. And one of the things that used to really bug me was that when I was at this Pentecostal Bible school in uh, in Singapore, they used to say to me, oh, don't go to a conservative Bible school. All they're going to do is they're going to quench the spirit. They're going to uh, they're going to be really grumpy and obsessed with uh, just being miserable and saying what they're against. And it was like, well, okay. Uh, I went and some churches were like that. Some people in those churches were like that. But for the vast majority, they were godly, incredible people. And I, I strongly value my time. I hold my time there so highly. That, that time where I was at a conservative Bible school in Canada, best thing. And you, Next week, we're going to hear from the director of that Bible school, who is one of the best human beings in the entire world. But on the other hand, when I was at a conservative Bible school, People used to make fun of the Pentecostals and the Charismatics because they'd say, oh, well, you know, it's all about emotional experience and it's like wonky theology and all that stuff. And some people, some of the stuff, some of the stuff I experienced was very wonky and some of the stuff was was very emotionally focused. But lots of people, lots of churches were extremely godly, passionate about the Bible, and it was a a really good time. Just just seeing Christ be worshipped in such an amazing way passionate way was awesome. So there's there's a balance. There's way more than one way to do church, right? If you think that your way of doing church is the right way, I would encourage you to go and explore some other churches. I wouldn't say, I'm not saying leave, don't leave your church, but but go and maybe spend a Sunday at, you know, maybe a Sunday every two or three months, just going to a church that's completely different to yours and, and ask the question while you're there, how is God working in this church? How are people worshiping God in this church? Uh, I think you'd be surprised and I think you'd maybe open your eyes a little bit more to just the wonder and the vastness of God. I mean, every expression of worship we have, if we brought it all together, every biblical expression of worship together, brought together and and sent upwards towards God still doesn't even cover the the smallest part of God's enormity. And that's really cool, right? So I would encourage you, experience some other churches. There is lots of different ways to do church. There are lots of ways of doing church, I should say. And that's exciting. That's an exciting place to be. So with all that in mind, we're going to end this episode. Next week, we are talking with Steve Jantz, as I mentioned, we're talking about the goodness of the gospel, the goodness of the good news. And that's going to be a really exciting episode. It's something that I'm really passionate about, but it's something that Steve Jantz is just brilliant at talking about. He loves the gospel. He loves the good news of Jesus. Um, He's famous for saying, preach the gospel to yourself every day. Um, I love that. He's fantastic. That'll be a brilliant episode. And then after that, we are looking at creation and the flood. 
So in two episodes, we're going to be joined by PhD geologist, Dr. Sam Melia, a good friend of mine, who will be joining us to talk about the various different views on creation and some of the interesting evidences about that. So stick with us for the next few weeks. If you found this helpful, do subscribe, click make, to make sure you get this all the time. Uh, send us an email at simplefaithpodcast at gmail.com if you want to chat connect with us on social media, share this episode with people. We would love it if you would help us get the word out about this show. And you, of course, you can leave us a review. Five-star reviews are fantastic if you want to give us one, but do remember to write a review as well. That's really helpful. So that's it from me today. We're so glad that you've joined us on the Simple Faith Podcast, and we will speak to you very soon. Bye. Bye.